Hi, my name is Christy and today's Bible reading is from Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. The second Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, hey, church, as Andrew has said, today we are thinking about the habit of singing. Uh, and so why don't we ask for God's help as we spend this time together? Let's pray. Uh, Almighty God, we thank you for time now to have your word open, uh, to hear you speaking to us and to consider a little bit more detail the life that you are calling us to as your children and as followers of the Lord Jesus. We pray that you'd please be with us, help us to think clearly, to hear you speaking through your word and to respond uh, gladly with obedience and with faith. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, uh, I really miss singing. I, I love singing. This time apart has been uh, hard for me. And I think the thing that I have missed the most is being with you and singing with you. And speaking to many of you over the last few weeks, I know that that's true for many of you too. Many of you have said that you miss singing together. That's sort of the main thing, in fact, that you might miss. Now, I get that that's not true for everyone, that not all of you are missing singing together because singing is not something that everybody actually kind of naturally enjoys. Uh, for many of us, and I put myself in this category from time to time as well, uh, when we go to sing, uh, we get a nasty surprise because what comes out of our mouth is not what we were expecting to have come out of our mouth. Uh, there are some of us that you know, couldn't carry a tune with a wheelbarrow. And so, you know, we engage with singing just as little as possible. Like maybe singing happy birthday once a year to one special person is like as, mu as much singing as we really want to do. But do you know, friends, that the, the Bible's picture of a life of worship actually involves singing. It's an inescapable part of what it means to belong to God. God's people are a singing people. And that's because we were created in the image of a singing God. Actually, when you open the Bible on the very first page, the story of creation, you're met with a God who sings, basically. The story of creation, God speaking and it coming into existence. Genesis chapter 1 is written in such a way that it's, 
It's poetic. It's song-like. And so the God that we meet from, from page one of Scripture is a God who, who sings powerfully, beautifully. Uh, we meet actually later in the Bible, in, in Zephaniah chapter 3, uh, this God who delights over his people with singing. But it's not just God the Father who is a singing God. Uh, his son Jesus sings. You can read at various points throughout the gospel that, that Jesus sang hymns with his disciples. Uh, in the passage that we had read out for us, Ephesians chapter 5, we, we read that the Spirit is involved in our singing, that as, as the Spirit fills us, we are driven to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing is a Trinitarian event. God is the one who invented singing. And because we are people who are made in his image, we are hardwired to sing by nature of being human. Every culture around the world throughout all time has sung. We are hardwired to sing. And do you know what else? We are hardwired to worship. Uh, I don't know if you've been watching the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, that's been on Netflix recently. It's a staggering watch uh, because it, it shows you up close and personal uh, this person, Michael Jordan, who, who is the greatest basketball player who ever lived. And, and the closer that you get to him, the more amazing and the more unparalleled his excellence is seen to be. And everybody, his teammates, his coaches, the fans who filled 10,000-seat stadiums, everybody recognized here is somebody who is worthy of praise, worthy of adoration, uh, somebody who is worthy, in a sense, of worship. We are hardwired to, to worship. J.R. Vassar, uh, an author in his book, Glory Hunger, he wrote this. He said, in fact, we are hardwired to ascribe glory and praise to whatever we deem impressive. We feel wonder over a breathtaking vista or shock and awe when our bones are rattled by rolling thunder. Giving glory is a natural human response to witnessing greatness, which is why our world is infatuated by celebrities. We are, we are hardwired to sing. We are hardwired to worship. And so in, in a sense, friends, whatever we sing about reveals what we worship. Our singing, or our lack thereof, actually reveals what we deem to be impressive. We can't escape singing as worship. And on top of that, as we just come to this topic of singing, consider it in our lives as Christians, we've got to recognize that Scripture commands us to sing. There are over 50 direct commands in Scripture to sing. That's a lot of repetition. God has put this in the Bible for us to, to hear this command and to not avoid it. Just th think about that command to sing. I mean, all of God's commands in Scripture, you know, don't steal, don't lie, love one another, encourage one another. Sing. It's right up there. And so let me remind you, church, that just like all of God's commands, they are, they are doorways for us into that greater experience of freedom that Jesus has purchased for us. Singing is just like that. It's for our joy. And so we actually don't have the option to not sing. It's a command. And can I say, particularly uh, when we gather together, um, there can be temptations, I think, to sort of stand silently sometimes and to, to kind of, you know, not engage in singing, particularly if you don't like the song that's being sung. 
but can you see that, that there is just no room for that in the Bible? <laughs> there's, there's no room for us to kind of stand up when we're together and to think, well, I'm just going to sing to God in my heart. I'm not going to use my mouth. I'm just, just going to sing in my heart. Because you can't make that excuse with any other biblical command, can you? Any other command to use your words in a particular way. You can't say, I'm just going to encourage you, but I'm not going to do it with words. I'm going to do it in my heart. You can't say, well, look, I'm going to evangelize just like God commands me to, but I'm not going to use my words. I'll just do it in my heart. Here you go. I'll give you another example. That was me preaching to you in my heart, right? You see, you see what kind of nonsense that is? We can't avoid the command to sing. We are created in the image of a singing God. We're hardwired to praise whatever it is we deem impressive, and we're commanded to sing. It's a pretty open and shut case. But I, I don't want us, friends, and the purpose of, of this message today is not to get you to sing out of compulsion. What I want for us today is to see the value of singing. Uh, what I really want is to help you to want to sing. And so what I'm going to do with the time that I've got today is to think with you about the two main reasons why we ought to value singing and why we ought to incorporate singing into our life of worship gladly. The two main reasons, I think, that Scripture gives us for singing. And the first reason is this, that we sing in order to rehearse God's truth to our hearts. Uh, songs have the power to implant truth inside of you for a whole lifetime. You know, every culture around the world has songs and rhymes to help children to, you know, learn the alphabet, learn numbers, other lists, stuff like that. Even as adults, you know, we are limited in our ability to memorize particular series and to hold them in our mind uh, unless we use mnemonic devices or patterns to remember them. I remember when I was studying for the HSC, one of the things that I would try and do is come up with jingles and rhymes to remember the facts that I needed to know so that they would always be able to be recalled. And I, I could pretty safely assume, I reckon, that there were songs that you learnt as a child that you can still remember to this day. You know, often I, I think when we come to this topic of singing, we're quick to remember that singing has kind of a vertical dimension to it, that I sing to God, I sing to praise Him. But we also have to remember that singing has this horizontal dimension to it, uh, that we sing to those around us, and even that singing has an inward dimension to it. It has an effect on ourselves. And, and we see that in the Bible, that we are encouraged to sing for the effect it has of implanting God's truth into our hearts. Uh, have a look back at Ephesians chapter 5. A passage we had read out for us there. In verse 19, uh, we are encouraged to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are verbally to replay the things that we believe for the benefit of those around us. You know, singing is part of the way that we serve one another when we come together. And Colossians chapter 3 has a very similar command to Ephesians 5 to let the truth of Christ dwell among us richly as we teach. And admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Our singing is didactic. It teaches us. 
You know, someone who understood this well was Martin Luther. Uh, Luther, who kicked off the Protestant Reformation by rediscovering the, the doctrines of grace, that salvation is, is not by works, but purely imputed to us through faith in Christ. Luther is a very famous theologian. He's a very famous pastor. But you may not know that he was actually a hymn writer as well. And one of the most powerful ways that this theological rediscovery of the doctrines of grace spread throughout Europe was by taking popular tunes of the time that were kind of known in the culture and rewriting them with good theology, using it kind of as a vehicle of truth. There's a, a famous quote by Scottish theologian Andrew Fletcher, and he said this, Let me make the songs of a nation, and I care not who makes its laws. I've been listening recently to a podcast called Wind of Change. It's a podcast which follows an investigative journalist as he looks into a pop song from the late 80s, early 90s, a song called Wind of Change by a German band called The Scorpions. And this investigative journalist follows this lead that he has, which has told him that the FBI, or rather the CIA, might have had a role in writing that pop song as propaganda. Now, you may not know the pop song, uh, but it's one of the biggest pop songs of all time in Europe. It was a song which spoke powerfully about the end of the Cold War and the wind of change that was sweeping through Europe at that time, the, the hunger for freedom that many people felt all across that continent. It's a fascinating kind of podcast to think that if you could just get enough people singing this song, that it might change them in such a way that it could end the Cold War. Song is such a powerful way to communicate truth to our hearts. You know, what you sing about, it will shape the way that you see reality. It'll shape the way you see yourself. It'll shape the things you care about. It'll shape the way that you feel. It can be such a powerful tool for us in our transformation as disciples of Jesus. And so if we want to be people who submit our whole lives to God so that he is exalted, then singing is a good gift from God to help us to do that. I, I'm aware as, as I you know, sat down to write this sermon that most of us a week from now won't even remember half of 1% of what I say. But I guarantee you this, that you will remember the songs that we sing today for the rest of your life. And so that is why our singing, it shouldn't just be a mindless activity. We ought to be thinking as we sing, considering the words that we sing. That's how we get the most value out of singing, actually, by engaging our heads. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples of how this would work. How do you engage your head? What is the value of thinking about the words that you sing as you sing them? Just, just beforehand, we just sang the song, Oh, Praise the Name. Remember the words of that song, verse 4? He shall return in robes of white, the blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. What are we, what are we singing about there? We're remembering, aren't we, the, the sure future, the hope that we have, that one day Jesus will return and we will be with him. We will see his glory. And, and so as we sing those words with our heads switched on, as we think about them, then our hearts are led to, to pray those kind of prayers. Come, Lord Jesus. Yes, that is what I want. That is my future. Or think about maybe the song, Before the Throne of God Above. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just 
is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. You, you can sing those songs with your brain switched off or you can sing them and think about what they mean. Remind yourself that you do not need to live in the guilt and the condemnation of your sin because Jesus has set you free, right? Uh, really, that verse is just Romans 8 put to song. You know, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now, look, you may not be able to quote Romans 8, but I'm sure you can remember those lyrics. And as you sing them, your heart is strengthened by their truth, by the truth of Scripture that underlies them. That's the first reason why we ought to sing, because of the powerful way that it can implant God's truth inside us. That's the first reason. The second reason, and I think probably the more important reason why we ought to sing is because good news demands a song. Good news demands a song. It's one thing to talk about you know, the power and, and the effect and the value of singing, but it's another thing to talk about joy calling forth a song out of us. Let's go back and look again at Psalm 98. Yeah, Psalm 98 starts, Sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Why is the psalmist singing? Because of what God has done for him. Because he's rescued him. He's saved him. And there's this, this response of the heart that, that is to what God has done. Look at verse 4. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. You see, good news demands a song and really good news, gospel news, news that God has redeemed people from sin and death. It calls forth a song. That's just the pattern of scripture uh, that redemption leads to song. I just want to kind of take you through this to see that I'm not making this up, that all throughout scripture, when God acts to redeem, people respond by singing. Have a think back to uh, the book of Exodus, where God has liberated his people from slavery in Egypt. And, and by the time we get to chapter 15 and they're free, they're out, the whole nation just bursts forth into song to celebrate. Uh, look at Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. You know, all throughout the Psalms, as we've seen in Psalm 98 and in countless other places, God's people are called to remember and sing about their salvation. By the time Israel get back from the Exodus in the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, they're returning from Babylon and they are commanded, Isaiah 52, verse 9, burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Sing, you've been redeemed. And then, of course, by the time we get to the New Testament, when God's redemption plan reaches its fulfillment, when the Son of God comes in the flesh to rescue sinful humanity, what happens when Jesus is born? An angelic choir fills the sky. Glory to God in the highest heaven. 
the shepherds go and meet baby Jesus and they return glorifying and praising God for all the things they heard and seen. It's a redemption song and it's a song that continues all the way into eternity. You know, in the book of Revelation, we see this snapshot of eternity and it's a picture of us, a picture of the saints around the throne bringing unending praise to the lamb who was slain. Good news, news of redemption, it demands a song. So friends, when it comes to singing, the question is not, do I have a voice? The question is, do I have a song? And if you are someone who no longer has to fear eternal separation from God, if, if death for you is merely the doorway into unspeakable joy, if, if your sin has been conquered, if hell is overcome, if Jesus has saved you to unending pleasure at God's right hand, then you have a song to sing. Saved people are singing people. We are compelled to sing. You can't actually keep that song inside of yourself because to not sing about this good news is to miss out on some of the goodness of it. C.S. Lewis, I think, insightfully once said, he said, I think that we delight to praise what we enjoy because praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. No, the delight is incomplete till it is expressed. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Friends, what C.S. Lewis has just described is the secret uh, behind the success of Instagram. <laughs> Why do you feel compelled to share the picture of your lunch? It's because your delight is incomplete until you've expressed it, until you've shared it. And so it is with our joy in God, that our, our joy is stifled and suppressed until we express it. And singing is one of the most powerful ways that we can delight in our redemption and express that delight. Good news demands a song. And so, friends, just like we ought to engage singing with our minds switched on, we also ought to engage in singing with our hearts and our emotions switched on. And I know that for some people that might be starting to sound alarm bells because sometimes Christians are very wary of the danger of feeling too much when they sing. You know, Christians don't want to be manipulated by the music that we sing. And so what do we do? We swing the pendulum in the other direction and we just we stand there and sing like statues, monotone, 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. You know, we're weary, rightly so, of emotionalism, which is just, you know, emotion for emotion's sake. That is to be avoided. But there is an equal but opposite danger where we feel nothing. We have no emotions when we sing this redemption song, when we worship. You know, when we sing, what we are doing is we are considering issues of ultimate human concern. Things like sin and guilt and death, forgiveness, freedom, eternal life. And so singing, which is devoid of emotion, it's a dangerous thing because it, what it can do is it can train us into believing that those things are actually not real concerns after all. Because the natural human wiring is to feel things that you are concerned about. And so if you, if you choose deliberately to not feel 
what you should be concerned about, then it's sub subconsciously training you to believe that those things are actually either not ultimate concerns or that they're not true. I, I want to challenge us today on this point, church, that uh, we ought to engage our emotions when we sing, engage our feelings, because good news demands a song. The song of redemption, you see, is a joyful song, predominantly. That is the dominant note in the melody of the redeemed. It's a joyful song. Psalm 98 say, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Singing is such a beautiful gift from God. And even though we can't sing together corporately at this time, we can still sing individually. And our singing can still exalt God as we do it with our, our heads and our hearts engaged. I would love to think, friends, that this time that we spend apart from each other is making us more hungry to come back together. I, I get goosebumps thinking about the first time we are all going to be back here, lifting our voices together in worship of our God. I, I would love to think, too, that in this time apart, that God is teaching us to value the gift of singing, to get out of it all that, we, that God intends for us to get out of it. In a moment, friends, we are going to sing uh, a song called Jesus Strong and Kind. And it's actually a very special version of the song that we are going to sing. It's a version that's been prepared to show us that we can all engage in this beautiful habit of grace. And so let me encourage you, as we sing this song in a moment, to sing boldly, sing unashamedly, sing joyfully this redemption song. Sing it with your head and your heart engaged to the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Almighty God, we thank you that you are the God of redemption and that you have given us a song worth singing, uh, the song which exalts the lamb who was slain. We thank you that you have saved us to be a singing people. And we pray that you would please help us uh, to sing with all the enthusiasm, all the engagement, all of the meaning, all of the value that you intend this beautiful gift to have in our lives. Teach us to value singing in this time apart so that when we come back together, whenever that day might be, that we would sing more loudly, more enthusiastically, in a way that brings you more honour and more glory. We ask this for your glorious name's sake. Amen.